Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Cassandra Hobart. Cassandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, so Cassandra, I'm looking forward to getting to know you, uh, digging into your backstory. But before we get to that point, I want to ask you uh, just some uh, questions I like to call the conversational starter questions, just to kind of get the uh, conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So I would like to know, first of all, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on uh, most days or most mornings? Yeah, I really like this question. So when I wake up in the morning, I try to visualize my day before I even get out of bed. And I find that it helps me stay present in the day that I'm going to have. Uh, and it also might be a way for me to slowly realize that it's time to get out of bed <laughs> and I'm not ready yet. So I keep my eyes closed and I'll, I'll lay in bed. And I'll just kind of visualize what's today going to be like, for instance, what's my workout going to be like? What's my work going to be like? Uh, and then I just kind of say like one to three things that I'm grateful for today. And again, I do this when I'm just, I'm just waking up. I just turned off the alarm. I try really hard not to snooze and I sit there and I, or I lay there and I just think, well, what am I grateful for today? And it can be as simple as I have running water today. I went grocery shopping yesterday, so I have a, a fridge full of food. Uh, it can be something as exciting as I get to do a podcast with Quentin today. And it kind of helps me frame my day. Uh, and it, it, I find that I have a better energy as I like continue the day if I just start it that way. And uh, once I get up, we, I, I take the dog for the walk. So my next thing is kind of getting outside in nature. And so I'll take the dog for a walk. Um, I'll get my, uh, my face out in the sun. And I just try to start the day with, with those two main things. So it's like visualizing and being grateful for things, gratitude, and then also getting outside, uh, into nature and putting my son in the face. So I find that my day goes really well. I can, let me say this. I can tackle whatever the day brings when I, stick to that routine. Love it. Okay. Now I want to just touch on, uh, the gratitude practice. Uh, I've been podcasting for almost five years and, uh, you know, I've had so many people come on the, the three different podcasts that I've had and, and continue to have, uh, that, uh, talk about starting their day with some sort of gratitude practice. And if they don't start their day with gratitude, there's some sort of gratitude practice uh, at some point uh, in their day. So, and I also, you know, uh, you know, have incorporate, you know, some sort of gratitude practice in, in my life on a, on a daily basis. So the question I want to kind of get from you, Cassandra, or uh, I just want you to kind of uh, share a little bit more in detail is, first of all, when did you kind of start the gratitude practice? Uh, why did you start it? And then uh, do you feel like this is something in terms of the gratitude practice uh, everyone should maybe try to incorporate, maybe not in the morning, but at some point throughout their day and why? Yeah, this is, this is great. So I started the gratitude practice uh, during COVID mm -hmm. and honestly, it was during a tough time. Uh, we were unsure about our jobs. We were unsure about our future and I had to take each day just in today. And so I started, I'd wake up in the morning and I would have this like uneasy feeling because I was already projecting around what's going to happen today with COVID or, or, or what, you know, and I just would sit there and I think, okay, well, I can't control any of that. Uh, I can control my perspective on it. And so I would just start with, I'm just grateful that I have a roof over my head today uh, and my family's healthy. Like that's just sort of how it started through COVID. And I found that even with doing it a couple of days, uh, my, my perspective started to change. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, the ball was rolling where I was starting, I built my website that year and I ended up finding my co-founders for, for my company that year. And so, you know, I just felt that it, it had such a positive impact um, and allowed me to make the most of what I could control and really let go of what I couldn't. So that's really how I started it. And that kind of leads into your second question. And so I really feel like it, it helps me harness uh, my perspective and I can't control what happens around me, but I can control my reaction to it. I can control my perception of it and I can control my next move. Uh, 
And those are themes that have really helped me in life, especially in the last 10 years. So I don't know if it's, it's necessarily, you know, one of the things I'd want to make other people do um, or say that everyone has to do this. But I've found for me in my experience that uh, I've really been able to grow, shape and control my perspective and my reaction to things by waking up and being very, you know, honest and real and and grateful for what I have for today and what I can do and accomplish today. And no matter how many times I think about the past, I'm not going to change it. (laughs) And no matter how much I worry about the future or think about the future, it's not here yet. And so it really has helped me really harness the day. And so, you know, whether it's waking up and being grateful for something, whether it's sitting there and having a a moment of peace or meditation, I think there are tools where gratitude can help uh, a lot of us stay grounded in today. And I have found a high correlation between that and getting through or or succeeding and or or failing with success and failing with grace as to what happens next. Mm. Love that. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, the second question I have for you, and uh, some of these, uh, well, the next three, if there's more than one, uh, you know, I'm just going to ask like for a favorite or one lesson here in a, in a moment. But again, if there's more than one for the next three questions, go ahead, share as many as you'd like, because uh, sometimes it's hard to limit uh, a question just to one. But the next question, Cassandra, is what's your favorite book? And then I would also like to know, do you have kind of a go-to podcast or favorite podcast? So let's start with the favorite book or a book that you gift often, and then uh, a favorite or most listened to podcast? Yeah, so this this might be a little cliche, uh, but my favorite book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horitz. And I really like that book because I've gone through different um, experiences in my life, whether it's competing at the CrossFit Games, whether it was starting my own business uh, as a nutrition practitioner, and now working with Omix as a co-founder. And I find that there are a lot of parallels that I hear and I read about in this book um, that I've, I've acknowledged and learned about throughout these different experiences in my life. You know, one, for instance, the theme, one of the themes I take away from that book is there's no easy way to do it. There's no quick success. There's no overnight, I'm just gonna, it's gonna be here tomorrow. Uh, and in, in some ways, hearing that and learning about that from, you know, Ben's perspective, uh, as he was building companies and becoming very successful in the, in the entrepreneurial world, I, I had a lot of correlations with competing at the CrossFit Games there. Um, I wasn't going to wake up the next day and all of a sudden be able to lift 50 more pounds, even if I really felt like my team needed me to do that. It wasn't going to happen. I had to slowly get there. And throughout that time of getting there, um, I had plenty of dips. I had plenty of failures along the way. And it was, it was comforting and and inspiring to hear that story about, you know, the different failures that will come along and a lot of it not being about, okay, I failed. I'm going to move on. I failed. What's my right next move. What do I do right now to help me get out of this and to move forward in a way to pursue what I want to do. And I found that to be not just true for CEOs or true for, for this experience as building companies. I found it true to be uh, with relationships. I found it true to be when I fail uh, in my own business. I found it true to be uh, for, for, for competing in CrossFit. And so I just thought, wow, you know, this is just honest, raw, vulnerable uh, information that's out there. And sure, it definitely applies to the entrepreneurial world. But I found so many other correlations uh, and ways to translate it to other areas of life. And it, it's also, you know, realizing that you're not alone. Uh, failing isn't necessarily bad as part of the process. And they can be big scale, they can be small. And uh, there's a lot of comfort in that when I first started reading that. So that's one of my favorite books to gift. And I, you know, I have a couple other friends that are starting businesses and doing things on the side. So I think there's a little bit of that too. I'm, I'm in that mindset right now. So that's, that's the one that I, I typically gift. So that's probably my, my favorite book uh, in the last like 10 years. And then uh, podcasts, and this is going to be kind of funny, but 
I, I don't really listen to a ton of podcasts. I listen to your podcast. Um, I listen to coffee pods and wads, and then I listen to Joe Rogan. And so I, I guess I would have to say, if we're looking at different podcasts, I like um, specific, specific episodes where I can learn something and take a message away very clearly and then move on. So I don't know if I have one specific podcast that I uh, make sure I I tune into every single week, but I'll go through some of my favorites and I just named the, the three top three. And then I'll kind of take something away when I can, and then I'll go back to work and, and, and try to apply that to life and see how that's working for me, maybe journal about it. So I'm maybe a little bit uh, unique in that sense, but I don't have a specific podcast that I, um, I would recommend. Okay. Uh, yeah. You're actually, you're actually not unique in that sense. Actually, a lot of people say that, and I'm kind of the same way. If somebody said, what's my, what's your favorite podcast, Quentin? I mean, uh, it kind of depends what uh, season of life I'm in. There might be kind of a go-to podcast in a specific season, but a lot of times I come across like an author or uh, somebody within the fitness space. I'm like, man, I want to find out more about them. I want to, I, I love hearing people's stories since, uh, uh, hence, you know, Curious and Can, and that's why I love bringing people on and, and having them share their, their life story. But um, so I'll just type in somebody's name, right, or a topic and kind of base uh, what I'm going to listen to in terms of a podcast off of that, as opposed to like a quote unquote favorite. So you're not necessarily unique in that sense. Now, um, I do want to ask you going back to Joe Rogan, because when I ask that question, uh, Joe Rogan comes up uh, quite often, obviously, for uh, very, uh, you know, uh, obvious reasons. But uh, has there been like an episode of Joe Rogan or a specific guest that he's had on Cassandra that uh, you just felt like it was just a it was a great listen because his podcasts are like two or three hours long um, or you feel like you just had a, a lot of, uh, you know, great takeaways or valuable information that you gleaned from that guest or that episode? Is there one specifically that stands out when I ask that or not necessarily? No, I think I mean, there are a couple. I mean, I really. Yeah, uh, there were two there were two comedian women that he on, had on most recently. And I remember listening it, to it uh, when I was on a road trip recently. And I, I forget their names, but I could I could pull them up for you. Uh, that was really powerful because it was nice uh, hearing about different comedian stories. And again, kind of going back to this theme of uh, triumph and failure. And they're so close and, and connected, though, they, they feel so polarizing at times. That was really powerful. And I also really liked Matthew McConaughey's uh, uh, podcast because he talks about journaling and being very uh, in the moment and in the day and, and reflecting on the day and kind of, you know, the other side of gratitude in the morning is reflection at night. And so I took away some really powerful pieces of well, what if I did just start journaling, journaling a paragraph each day? What would that look like for me in 10 years? And he had he had these notebooks full of, you know, his day-to-day -day lives. And, and some of it was longer, some of it was shorter, some of it was just, hey, I went to the set today. And, you know, and I found that to be really uh, unique. I, I don't see or hear a lot of people doing something like that. Uh, and I do think, you know, that does play a little bit into his ability to stay in the moment, have a cool perspective and learn and grow and self-reflect. So maybe that would probably be the one that stands out to me the most. Okay, awesome. Uh, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned uh, in the last year? And if it's not within the last year, if it's in the last week or last six months or last couple of years, I just kind of want to get like a, a, a gen generally, uh, a general timeline in terms of within recent times of a life lesson you've uh, been uh been taught or learned yeah there's there's two that really come to mind and the first one is patience really learning what patience means and patience not being on my timeline right like patience meaning that even if i want something to happen faster or or or, or in a certain way um it's not necessarily going to be that. And so again, I can't control that, but I can control how I'm handling it. And so patience uh, and connecting with that is sitting with uncomfortability. So having patience and being able to sit with an uncomfortable situation, uh, decision, uh, moment, you know, season of life, being able to just sit in the uncomfortability and not catastrophizing things. 
and, and, and not projecting things and not trying to rewrite the past, but just sitting with uncomfortability. And I find that that's where a lot of growth comes from. And it can be something as, as simple as for me, you know, having a really hard, sweaty workout and just being uncomfortable. Um, but I learned something about myself when I do that, right? Like I learn that I'm going to be okay. Uh, I take each moment at a time. I do the next rep. It could be something as simple as that, or it could be something, you know, much bigger where you're sitting with an uncomfortable decision or, or an uncomfortable bit making, getting ready to make a decision. So patience has been a huge lesson for me. And I think this has been the last maybe two years. Uh, I've really started to work patience and I mean, it's all connected, right? Like the more I'm able to wake up, have gratitude, you know, take hold of my perspective, take hold of the day and what I can do. It helps me um, have more patience. Mm -hmm. So that's been a really wonderful thing um, because beforehand, I think in my teens and twenties, uh, early twenties, man, I wanted to do everything right now. Like, let me, let me do everything right now. Let me get here. Let me do this. Like, you know, life is just like everything right now. <laughs> so patience has been something in my late twenties and now I'm 31. Um, that has been very, very valuable for me to learn. And, you know, the other lesson here really is, um, everything happens or let's me, let me put it this way. Uh, I'm right where I need to be right now. And that's the other lesson. Cause there, you know, along with patience is wanting to change things or, uh, wanting to tweak things and, coming back to the moment and realizing I am right where I need to be right now, having this conversation with you in my head, reflecting on all this stuff that I haven't really reflected on maybe in a couple of days. Uh, and so those are two lessons that have really helped me and ha have grown with me. Hmm. Um, okay. Now uh, in regards to patience, uh, how do you kind of balance? Okay. Cause it, I mean, is it fair to say maybe at least, when you were younger, you, or maybe, I mean, you probably still are, but maybe you're just learning to uh, have a better perspective with it. But like, are you a type A personality, like very like go getter and like, you know, I'm, I, I want this, I'm going to go get, is that kind of how you are or not? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. So I, I kind of assume that, but uh, you don't always want to assume in life. Right. Um, now in terms of the patience uh, part of, of, of this, and then being like type A, because I'm also very type A, and I think you see that obviously if you're, uh, you know, what you are, you're involved in CrossFit and athletics and, you know, starting businesses. I mean, that's a, those worlds are very type A dominated, right? Um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, very aggressive energy within all of those worlds. So how, how do you kind of take patience uh, and, and work on that? And, and I guess what I also want to know is what is patience or what have you learned at this point in your life, Cassandra, is patience? for you and to you, and how do you balance, um, if you can balance it, how do you balance patience and having that type A personality and in CrossFit and in this world we're living in and being an entrepreneur, you do have to be very driven and focused and disciplined, and you do have to go out and make things happen at times. You can't just sit around meditating all day, although that would be healthy and good, but you, we can't do that, right? So what is patience to you up to this point? Have you learned? Uh, and then is there a balance? How do you balance the patience and the type A and you have to go out and make things happen sometimes uh, kind of perspective? Sure. Yeah. I think what I've learned up to this point is that patience isn't the opposite of aggression. Um, I can still be pursuing things uh, aggressively mm -hmm. and going after things aggressively. Having patience doesn't mean isn't the opposite of that. Mm. Patience is avoiding making fear-based decisions mm. uh, and making decisions that necessarily you don't need to make or want to make in that moment. Mm. And so that was, that's powerful for me. I can still be uh, aggressive and I can be decisive and I can be um, a go-getter and pursue something, but I don't need to force solutions and I don't need to force decisions. And if anything, uh, it's when I'm fear-based thinking, you know, like thinking about the worst case scenario, um, that's when I force the decision and, and it actually most of the time doesn't give me the outcome that I was so aggressively shooting for when I'm able to hold patience, whether it's in the moment, it's in the conversation, uh, it's in the day, I'm not necessarily slowing down, but I'm 
pulling myself out of the fear-based thinking and able to make a sound next step. So in some ways, having patience has given me more effective and efficient decision-making skills to pursue an aggressive career, whether it's in, you know, entrepreneurial, um, or my business, um, my startup, or, or I co-founded it. So like our startup, and then uh, as well as on, on the athletic side too. So I would say that that was my first thing is learning that they're not, you know, aggression and, and patience, if anything, work closely together to make sound decisions. Um, it's the frantic fear-based thinking that really uh, creates chaos and creates uh, maybe outcomes that you were never in pursuit of, right? So that has been one thing um, that I've learned up to this point. And then, you know, I also really feel like uh, patience has allowed me to pursue things, multiple things um, at once, because like I go back to, like I have that sound mindset um, and steady flow versus being so um, aggressive or trying to force solutions that just aren't there. You know, if I want X, Y, and Z to happen today, but that takes a lot of other people into account that takes, um, a lot of different financial things to happen. It's not on me. I can't force that. And if I try to force it, most likely it's not going to be the outcome I want. Mm -hmm. So having the patience to sit in the day allows me to reflect, uh, to think more clearly and then make a really good decision going forward. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes. That's part of the process, too. But I know that I have done everything I can up to that point uh, to make the best decision with all the information I have to take my next step forward. So honestly, having patience has helped me pursue multiple things at once. Um, it's helped me make more sound, aggressive decisions uh, as a type A personality for, you know, different business decisions for, you know, different athletic decisions. Uh, and so I think, I, am I missing a, a bit of your, your question here? No, that's great. That, okay, because that's kind of uh, how I, I've been able to yeah. look at it, especially over the last like three, four years. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, you said, uh, uh, or mentioned fear-based thinking. Um, uh, walk us through that, talk us through that, and uh, maybe just share a little bit about how this fear-based thinking uh, hindered you in the past and how you've maybe now broken through this fear-based thinking. Because from my understanding uh, or perspective, fear-based thinking is probably something that, you know, is innate within all of us. And it's something that we have to work through as humans and we have to break through as humans, uh, recognize and, and all of that. So um, I so my point is, I think it's something that probably all of us struggle with. Some of us maybe are consumed by fear-based thinking and, and never break through it, but what is fear-based thinking? And uh, just walk us through how you've been able to break through it um, or how you are breaking through it, Cassandra, please. Yeah, sure. So from my perspective, fear-based thinking is, when you are consumed and worried about what could happen, a, a consequence you really don't want to happen, it's really uncomfortable, um, and you're going to take action immediately, uh, or, or you're thinking through action immediately to avoid that specific outcome or those specific outcomes. Um, let me, I'm trying to think of, a, of a, a good one here, but for instance, you know, if I am trying to qualify for the CrossFit games uh, and I'm taking a rest day and my fear-based thinking comes into play and I'm like, but all my other competitors are going to be better than me if, because they're not resting today. I'm seeing them on social media. Oh my gosh, I'm not as fit. I'm not doing well. And so you start to go through this worst case scenario of, uh, and, and, in looking at an outcome that is undesirable for you. So the outcome in, in this example would be, I'm not as fit, I'm not gonna qualify. Um, and then that can lead to a very snap quick decision. Like, well, I'm just not gonna take a rest day today, I'm gonna train. Mm. And so you're really focused on avoiding a specific outcome that you think is going to happen. Uh, the other caveat or the other part of this is that uh, the, the fear-based thinking isn't necessarily reality. Uh, it's based in what you are, you're afraid of, right? And it's based in uh, what you really want to be able to control uh, and you really want to be able to avoid. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. 
And so fear-based thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, as a nutrition coach uh, and, and, and being in the fitness world for, for, you know, 10 plus years, I see that most of us have it. Uh, and there's some comfort in that, right? Like you, you, when you, you think about it, if you're having a, a panic or a gut feeling, you're like, oh my gosh, this could be like so bad. Um, you're not alone. And that was one of the things that I started to really learn. It's like, yeah, like you said, Quentin, like a lot of us work through this. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what I realized is that um, I can't necessarily control the outcome. And so I'm not necessarily sure that everything I think I know or I'm in fear of is going to be the worst case. Uh, and so I also learned that I force solutions when I'm fear-based thinking, gosh, I really, really want to avoid this scenario. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z today, right now in this moment to hopefully avoid that. Well, most likely there are going to be other factors than what I can control. So I don't really, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to avoid it eventually. Uh, But what I did do is I didn't allow myself to look at all the other scenarios and make a more sound decision uh, going forward. And so pulling, so your second question, kind of pulling myself out of that is when I feel myself um, thinking toward the future and pulling up scenarios in my head of things that I really don't want to happen, that's when I know I'm in a fear-based mindset. I'm worried. I'm thinking about the future. I've lost myself in the day and I'm really focused on what could be and how awful that would be. And what would I have to do to avoid that? That's when I know I'm in a fear-based mindset and a fear-based thinking. And the cool part is, is that this is all perspective in a way. And so we have the control and the power to acknowledge that when we feel that train of thought coming, pause it and take a step back and realize that couldn't, that could not happen just as much as what I really want to happen, happen. And that is why I really enjoy, you know, all the, the journaling and, and, you know, even a little bit of meditation and um, just focusing on the day and even journaling, like all that stuff uh, or in gratitude practices too. So I, I enjoy that because it helps me pause when I'm having the fear-based mindset come in uh, when I'm so worried about what could happen. And so, so concerned and almost so sure that that is what's going to happen. You know, you just really could get, you can really get caught up in it. And uh, I'm able to pause using those tools and reassess, like, what is, what do I actually know today right now? Mm-hmm. And I kind of do that list. Okay. Well, I, I don't know all that in the future, but what do I know today? And that's what I go back to acting off of. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, you know, I'm going to qualify or not for the games. Right. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be fit enough at, at semifinals, but what I do know is that today is my rest day. Mm-hmm. Rest days help me recover. They help me gain muscle. Uh, they help me uh, release any built up uh, tension, stress, whatever in my body. Um, and I need to refeed today. Those are things I know today. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pull myself away from that future of what I'm so scared of happening. And I focus back on what do I actually know today? Uh, and, and that has really been that transition or that sort of mindset mindset shift uh, that has helped me pull back, acknowledge, be aware and, and pull back from any sort of fear-based thinking and coming back to today. And then I kind of sit in the uncomfortability a bit. Well, that could still happen. Um, but I don't have to, I don't have to go off of that. You know, I can just, uh, I can also look at solutions and outcomes that could be really positive. Mm -hmm. So in that way, um, I can, that can be just as valuable and that can be just as, um, attainable too. And so I, I choose then to make my next move based on what I want to happen. Um, and really just start and let the uncomfortability of the fear kind of come in and flow out. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Very, very well put. I love that. Uh, I also think uh, that fear-based thinking is something that uh, is going to stir up a lot of uh, anxiousness and anxiety for for people. Uh, and I think uh, some of the information you just gave us, Cassandra, is a great way to uh, maybe not get rid of all anxiety or anxiousness, but to really uh, kind of put put out the fire, so to speak, of anxiousness and anxiety. So focusing on what you can control and letting go of everything else. I I really appreciate that. Now, um, we're going to kind of get into the last question in terms of the conversational starter questions. 
And then um, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of digging into your upbringing and your your backstory a little bit more. So uh, the last question, and again, if there's more than one, please feel free to to share as as much as you want or as many as you want. But the last question here uh, for this section is: Do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Yeah, uh, this kind of goes back to I, I think I, I mentioned this already, but um, I really like I'm right where I need to be right now. Yeah, that's a really, and it's helped me when I have fear-based thinking. It's helped me when I'm excited. Um, that that one has really helped, you know, and really shaped what I do next and how I view the world. Uh, the other one I like is this too shall pass. And I know it's, that's a, that's a very popular one. Uh, but I like it for both, both the, I'm uncomfortable. I hate this. This is not my favorite season of life. This is not what I want to do. This too shall pass. I also like it. And you know, where I'm going with this. I'm on top of the world. I just qualified for the games. Life's going great. This too shall pass. It helps me stay balanced in the day. Yeah. I have said uh, this too shall pass uh, probably thousands of times in my lifetime. I, I yep. love that one. It's one of those cliche ones, but when you hear something that's cliche or often uh, quoted or repeated, there's probably something to, to glean or gain from it, right, Cassandra? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, let's. Uh, I want to kind of get into your uh, your childhood at this point and your your upbringing. Okay, so um, just. Uh, Talk about uh, a little bit uh, in terms of like where you actually grew up, uh, siblings. Uh, I'm assuming you probably played sports when you were younger. Uh, any other extracurricular activities? What was school like? Just kind of give us a good painting or snapshot, if you will, of uh, the younger years for Cassandra. Take us up to about high school and then you can stop kind of in those high school years because I've got some questions that kind of move us on from that point. So where did you grow up? What was life like for you uh, in those younger years, Cassandra? Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston. We were on the South shore and uh, my mom was a teacher at the school that I went to. She actually just retired this year, but she was an elementary school teacher. Uh, and my dad worked for a regional bank and it was my sister and I, I'm the oldest and my sister is three years younger than me. Her name's Gabrielle. And life was really sweet growing up. I'm very fortunate to have two parents under the same roof. Um, and I, my sister and I got along pretty well. Uh, as any sisters would know, there were plenty of clothes being taken between different closets and, you know, that sort of thing. But we were really close growing up. I had, you know, my BFF with me since I was three years old. And uh, we played sports, you know, I played soccer growing up. Uh, I, I liked the, the one thing I like and I, now that we're old, I'm older and I think about where I want to live is growing up. I really liked the street that we were on. It was uh, like six or seven houses. They were a little bit spread out and it was just really safe. And so all the kids would play, we would do block parties. We would get into like, I don't know, we'd build like teepees and we would play soccer and do volleyball. Like it was a really nice uh, upbringing in the sense that it was, it was safe. It was a nice environment. We had you know, neighborhood friends as long as, as well as school friends. And, you know, we played sports. I played soccer growing up. I ran track growing up. Uh, I even cheerleaded for a while. Uh, I always, you know, I was one of the taller girls in my class for a little while. So I was always a base. And I should have been like, yes, like I'm strong. I'm a base at cheerleading. But I always wanted to be a flyer and I can never be a flyer. So I made my little sister do it and we tossed her around. And that poor thing, she was so, so good with us uh, when we were doing that. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I am grateful for my childhood. My, my mom had summers off, so we did a lot of um, swimming lessons. And, you know, we lived uh, about probably 30 minutes from the beach, maybe 40 minutes. So we'd go to the beach a lot in the summer. And I really enjoyed my upbringing. I'm really grateful. I remember one time my parents surprised us, uh, packed our bags for us, must have been while we were at school or something, and uh, surprised us and took us to Disney World in Florida. And it was so cool. And I, you know, you, you, you kind of appreciate it growing up, but now that I'm older, I'm like, gosh, wow. Like that was incredible. That was so cool that we did that. Uh, so 
I feel really grateful for, for my childhood. And, and I got into high school and high school was bumpy for me. I have to say that it wasn't, you know, smooth sailing for me for, uh, you know, for gosh, probably very, uh, generic reasons, but just like, I don't know, drama or trying to figure out where I want to go to school or just stuff uh, that happens in high school. But I, I played track and, or I ran track and I played uh, soccer and uh, I was ready to, you know, leave uh, the South Shore of Boston and kind of pursue and grow and, and see what was going to happen next. Hmm. Now, I'm assuming since your mom was a school teacher and your dad was, uh, you know, in, in the, the, the banking side of things, uh, education was probably something that was stressed pretty uh, strongly. Is that fair to say? Uh, what was school like for you in terms of the, the academic side of things, Cassandra? Yeah, absolutely. So I was definitely like an A minus student. Um, there was for sure like the occasional B plus, but um, and I wasn't as smart as my sister. My sister got like all A pluses. She's it's she's cool. Um, she used to do like uh, like fun extracurricular activity projects that she would create for herself on the weekends. And I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, but I was grateful that it, it was important. Um, but it, I felt like. I wanted to do well in school for me. I didn't feel the pressure where my mom and dad would be angry, frustrated, or upset with me if I if I didn't do well. Um, I don't think failing classes. I don't think that was allowed. I think you know there were for, my parents would be like, okay, there's some red flags going on here. But the 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 wanting and willingness to put in extra work to do well in school and to pursue a college that I wanted to go to, um, I think it really came from me. I wanted to make sure I did really well. And that was my sister too. Like, I can't remember if my, I don't think my mom ever was like, Hey, you have to do these extra projects. Uh, she was probably like, let's go to the beach. <laughs> and my sister would be like, I'm going to do a project on China and I'm going to do a project on Wales. Um, so I, you know, I could probably unlayer that a bit more, but um, it was important. And then it was important to put your, your best effort forward. It was important to be um, honest and transparent. It was important to uh, not cut corners. That was important. So if you're going to do something, you did it fully, you did it right. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things between my parents growing up and that was on the academic side. There was also on like the sports side, there was a team, there was a cross uh, a CrossFit. There was a soccer team that I was just ready to kind of move on, give up from. It was a lot of traveling. Uh, I just didn't want to do it. And my mom said, we're going to finish out the season. You're not going to quit on your teammates, uh, on yourself in the middle of the season. So I, I no cutting corners was really uh, one of the, the messages growing up, I will say. But uh, yeah, my parents were really supportive. They were the parents that would stay out late, stay up late with us to finish a project. Um, you know, my, I, myself or my sister would come to my parents at like 10 p.m. We're out of glue for our our project. The CVS opened still <laughs> because this is due in the morning uh, and they'd get out of bed and go get us glue and say, OK, we're not going to do this next time. But yeah, let's go. Let's make sure you do this right. Hmm, cool. Uh, I think it's uh, awesome that, you know, uh, you 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 uh, grew up with your, your mom and your dad and you had that. Uh, that upbringing with that stability, because I mean, it's, it's just such a, especially the kind of the world we're living in now and the statistics uh, make it very clear and, and things like that. But uh, there's such a, I'll call it an advantage for those of us who grow up with a mom and a dad. And that uh, again, I'll just use the word stability in our lives. It, it just, it, it gives us, um, I think just such a strong head start with, in regards to everybody else, uh, there's just something unique and special about that. Now, um, in terms of, it sounds like obviously mom and dad were, you know, very uh, strong, positive influences in uh, your life growing up. Was there anybody else in terms of an adult, Cassandra, when you were younger, maybe it was another family member, uh, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was somebody, uh, you know, uh, at some other point in your life, but was there another adult that you look back and you're like, man, I'm so thankful for so-and-so because they really helped me at this point or in this season of my life when I was younger. Yeah, that's a good question. So when I was, when I was younger, I definitely leaned on my grade teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I liked how 
how organized they were and how, uh, how much they seemed to have it together. And so I really looked up to my grade teacher. There was um, my third grade teacher. I remember having a pretty strong impact, not only when I was in third grade, but she was friends with my mom. So it was like, you know, later grades too. Uh, Penny Jones, she had some strong impact on me. And, uh, you know, a couple of my soccer coaches also had a pretty strong impact on me uh, in the sense that, you know, it was about consistency. It was about not giving up when you failed. It was about um, pursuing what you wanted to do and having a passion for what you want to do and how important it is to care about what you do. And um, yeah, one, one of them was Joe Moniz. He was really important. Uh, and so I had a couple people growing up, I think. Uh, I, I probably at the time I didn't realize the impact maybe, you know, but it, it could have been something as simple as, um, gosh, my parents can't grab, can't drive me to, you know, the practice. So, you know, my coach would come and grab me or something if they were still working. Uh, and then I do remember now that I'm kind of thinking about it more, one of my really good friends growing up, um, name was Kelly Gomes. Her dad had a really big impact on me and he didn't coach us uh, specifically for soccer, but he kind of was like, or maybe he did for a season or two. Uh, my memory is probably not great. Um, and if she's, if she's listening to this, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I hope I, I hope I got this right. Uh, but uh, he did have a strong impact on us where it was like, we show up early, you know, we have our gear with us. Uh, we go to bed early, like, you know, we can have fun and we can play, but also like, let's get our, our stuff together and make sure that we show up. And it was more than just competing or, or playing the sport. It was also like how you carried yourself on and off the field. It was about shaking the hand. It was about, uh, you know, making sure if someone did get hurt, you know, you were, you were sensitive to that. There were a lot of little tips and, and things there. And I think I looked up to him a lot too, uh, during that time period. Okay, cool. Um, now when you were in high school, what did you kind of want to be, uh, quote unquote, when you grew up or when you got older? And then once you actually graduated high school, uh, how did life unfold? Did you kind of move in that direction or did life kind of take you in a different direction from what you wanted to do or be when you were uh, a teenager? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was really uncertain, unsure of what I wanted to do. I was jealous of people or envious of people that knew, like my sister knew she wanted to be a nurse. She knew she wanted to help people. Uh, I had another friend who knew they wanted to go into the FBI. Like they just wanted to be an investigator. Like that's just what they did. And I didn't feel so certain or sure. I was, I didn't really know who I was. And I, I'm okay saying that now at the time, <clears throat> if you were to ask me like, well, I know who I am. I'm a soccer player. I get A's and I, you know, do this, this, and this, but I didn't really know like who I was. Um, and I kind of felt like some of my dreams were silly. And so I remember a couple of times people, I had a couple of friends that were older than me and I looked up to them because they were older than me and they were going to school for business. And I, and I remember thinking a couple of times, what if I could be a CEO? What if I could run a business? That would be so cool. Uh, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So yeah, I, I think that's probably the most candid answer I could give you, honestly. Uh, and so that was in high school. And then I, you know, I, I really wasn't sure what to pursue. And my dad helps me with this. I, I wanted to get a good start. And so I went into accounting and finance, uh, primarily accounting. And the reason was he quoted this, that like accounting is the backbone of any business. So if you want to be, you know, run your own business, you want to work at a big business, uh, you got to know how the numbers work. <laughs> Otherwise, you won't have a business. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did. I pursued uh, accounting as my major in, in college for that. Uh, and, you know, my life has taken me in a, a much drastically different direction from accounting, from auditing, from, you know, big four finance or, or even hedge fund finance. But I'm happy that I got my start there because I, I again, I don't know if I would say it's the, the only backbone, but it is an important piece of, of any business. And so I do like that I have that knowledge and background. Hmm. Very, very intelligent uh, uh, dad that you have for giving you that advice, because I own a very small business and I have uh, I have somebody do my bookkeeping for me because I, I I don't I I'm not a numbers person or I don't even know where to start with all that. But <laughs> um, so that's great. Now 
um, where did you actually go to college? And then uh, once you graduated from school, did you kind of get into the, the financial side of things and use your degree? Like just kind of start unpacking, uh, you know, your step into adulthood, so to speak, and how life kind of unfolded uh, after you got out of college, Cassandra. Yeah, absolutely. So I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. It was far enough away. It was a different state, uh, but it was close enough that I could be, you know, close to my family. And so I liked that. I liked that. Um, looking back on it, sure, I wish maybe I had gone a little bit further, but I, I'm happy. I was right where I needed to be at that time. And I pursued an accounting degree and I got out of, of school after doing a couple auditing internships. And I was like, this is just not for me. Um, and I think I knew that throughout college too. I think I knew like <clears throat> this was going to be a good backbone, but this wasn't going to be my long-term career. And I remember even my senior year, uh, we did a, a real life, uh, you know, business proposal and I did mine on a, on a CrossFit gym that Nike sponsored, you know, like I just wasn't even thinking about big four auditing or, you know, my, my other classmates were all thinking about that going to New York city and, and really grinding for the next 10 years to be a director or a partner. And that just wasn't me. Uh, I also in college, and this is important for my, as I get into my twenties is I found CrossFit mm -hmm. and, and I went from running and playing soccer to now doing this like cool functional fitness executed at high intensity of seeing these crazy results. And I was just obsessed with it. So that kind of was the reason why my thesis or my, my cap, you know, on my undergrad degree was this like combination of doing a business proposal for a CrossFit gym. And at the time, my favorite brand was Nike. So I kind of put that together. And so I got out of college um, and I had a job offer for an auditing firm because I was like, let's just have a job offer. Let's start paying back any loans I had. Uh, and I ended up uh, switching that and going into hedge, a hedge fund. Uh, and they reached out to me. I was weird. It was just one of those things where, again, right where I needed to be. Uh, I was on LinkedIn and I had a headhunter reach out if I wanted to look at a hedge fund opportunity. Didn't even know what it was at the time. Didn't know anything about that world other than what I learned in school. And I ended up taking uh, a really impactful job. Uh, at Providence Equity Partners on the uh, liquid alternative side, the hedge fund side, uh, which which the arm of that is called Benefit Street Partners. And so that was my first job out of college. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, it was perfect. It was wonderful. Um, I made more money than I thought I, I would right out of college. And that was enticing and, and cool. And I think there was more mahogany wood in that office <laughs> than needed to be. And so as a little undergrad, I was like, interesting. This is what the workforce is like, huh? Um, and and um, it was, I worked with a amazing, intelligent, hardworking group of people. Like I still look at it and go, wow, that there was a group of 15 people that I worked with and each of them just so smart, so driven, so hardworking. Um, and there was a teamwork and collaboration piece there too. And this is again, first experience at a high school, uh, sorry, at a college. And I thought, wow, this is what the workforce force is like. Wow. Uh, and I had a, I had a manager, uh, Stephen Rainville, and he had a very impactful, uh, he was just very impactful for me. And he really gave me a lot of grace in the sense that I was young uh, I was the youngest one there and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was learning all these different things with pricing and spreadsheets and stuff that just felt really above what I, what I wanted to do, what I was capable of doing or what I thought I was capable of doing. Uh, and he really just gave me so much grace and, and help and support and made it fun. And uh, I look back on that experience with him. I thought, wow, that's a good leader. It's not just a manager. That was a really good leader. Mm -hmm. And um I eventually realized from that job that I wanted to make um, more of an impact on the world. I wanted to do more than just sit at a desk and, uh, and, and crunch numbers and make other people a lot, a lot of money. And that's cool. And that was fun. And, um, but I wanted to do more than that. And it was hard leaving because I remember my dad saying this too. He's like, you're working with such an incredibly talented group of people I don't know if you'll find that again. I don't know how long it'll take you to find that. You have a leader as a manager, not just a boss, and you have an incredible group of, of colleagues. 
Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, but this just really isn't what I want to do. And so that was my first step toward this path where I ended up working in the health and wellness world. Uh, and now I work for a health and wellness startup, but that was kind of like where I, I anchored myself as I, as I left college and I graduated and, you know, went out in the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, before we uh, continue kind of in the, uh, you know, business side of things, let's take a step back because you mentioned CrossFit and obviously uh, being at the CrossFit games and, 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 and from your Instagram, any, anybody can see that you are definitely in to CrossFit. So uh, what year uh, did you kind of uh, stumble upon CrossFit? Uh, walk us through kind of that story because I've had, you know, through the years, quite a few people that are into CrossFit and on the, in, the, in the CrossFit games on the podcast. And there's always usually a pretty cool story uh, behind their CrossFit quote unquote story. So how, how did you find CrossFit? How did it find you? Um, walk us through, uh, that, uh, experience or season of your life, Cassandra. Yeah. So I, I think CrossFit found me, you, the, I can tell you've had a couple of CrossFit people on the, on the podcast, uh, especially when you say it, when you put the question that way, it for sure found me, you know, I was in, I was in college. Uh, I wanted to pursue a better, um, health and, and, and I wanted, I was even starting to think about longevity at that point. I was like, I want to look like how I want to look when I'm 50, you know, when I'm 60, like I care about that. I care about what my life is going to be like long-term. And I I remember going home on break and um, a woman, I was at the gym with my mom. My mom grew up um, at the gym and, you know, did her, uh, her sets and her reps and, 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 you know, she was really sweet. So she kept me in health and wellness for a majority of my life. And I'd go to the gym with her on break uh, my, uh, her trainer or a friend of hers that was a trainer, uh, just had taken her CrossFit level one and was talking about it to us. She's like, her name was Paige. She's like, I think you might like this, Cassandra. This kind of seems like something you might like. And so she actually started doing a little CrossFit in this regular gym. I did a couple workouts with her. I'm sure my form was terrible. I'm sure, you know, I was like this close from getting injured. Right. But I was hooked. You know, I, I can't even tell you that first workout because it wasn't one of the signature workouts of CrossFit. It was something that the trainer had put together. But this idea of connecting the running with the squatting and the pull ups, I was like, wow, I want to get my first real pull up. I'm hooked. And so I went back to college and I would look at the CrossFit.com workout of the day. I would look at all the videos and I would do the workouts at a regular, at my regular CrossFit or sorry, my regular gym in uh, Providence college. And then someone mentioned to me, Hey, it looks like you're doing CrossFit. You might want to go to CrossFit Providence. I thought there's one around here. That's so cool. Uh, And at the time I wasn't, I didn't have a bike, you know, I'm college kid. Don't have, or sorry, I didn't have a car. I'm college kid. And so I would bike like, a couple miles off campus to this CrossFit gym, exhausted by the time I got there. And then I would go into a workout <laughs> and then survive back, you know, driving back or, or, or riding back on my bike, just completely slamming myself. But I was so obsessed. I had found something that really had a big impact and impression on me. And so I just kept pursuing it. What, yeah. uh, what year was this, uh, Cassandra? Mm. I think it was, uh, 2012. Okay. Yeah, okay. 2012. So, so at that point, CrossFit, uh, was, uh, like the CrossFit games were on ESPN and out in California in terms of like in the stadium stuff, or was, was it not quite at that point yet? They were doing the CrossFit games at the, at California. I don't know if it was televised on ESPN yet. I think that was a couple of years later. Yeah. I was kind of on this like brink of, you could, you would say, oh, wow, like, what do you do for a workout? And I'd say CrossFit. And then they'd say, well, what's that? Yeah. And I got to explain that story. Now, if I say I do CrossFit, people are like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was at that kind of like brink of explosion yeah. where it was starting to really pick up. Yeah. Now, uh, looking back uh, in terms of reflecting, what do you feel like now uh, when you kind of like were introduced to CrossFit by this uh, trainer, what do you feel like really hooked you or why, why were you so attracted or why did it appeal so much to you at that uh, stage of your life? It really, it appealed to me because I was able to receive a really hard, awesome workout 
in a much more efficient time. Mm -hmm. And I really valued that before I was going on, you know, hour plus runs, uh, and, you know, doing multiple hours in the gym. And I had just, I've just been exhausted. I just wasn't super efficient. And so I did, I started CrossFit and the workout took me 10 minutes. I was on the floor. I was gassed. I was sweating. And I was like, wow, that only took 10 minutes. There's something to this intensity piece. Mm -hmm. And as a college kid, you know, I'm 20 something or I'm I'm 19, 20. And I'm like, this is awesome. I just want to do this. Uh, And I, I quickly start to see some of the results I want to see too. Like aesthetically, I was like, wow, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. Like, this is really cool. Uh, and so it was a combination of, you know, type A personality, wanting efficient workouts, because I wanted to do a lot in my days, uh, to also getting these like aesthetic uh, results and feeling fitter and performing better. I was like, this is really cool. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Okay. Now, uh, why don't you, uh, I, I want to stay on the CrossFit uh uh, train here for a little bit before we get back into kind of like the, the professional side of, of business and where you're at currently uh, with this uh, uh, startup. But um, so why don't you just continue on the uh, unpacking of CrossFit? So you started in college, you go back, you join uh, CrossFit Providence, um, and then obviously you've been doing CrossFit ever since. So why don't you just like give us, uh, wh- why don't you start about, talk about when you started competing? And is that something that you want to do? Is that something that was introduced to you? Like, just kind of give us the evolution story of your CrossFit story, so to speak. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I, I started doing CrossFit across the Providence and I was a college kid. So I would uh, do a little bit of like interning for them and in exchange for a membership. And I remember thinking this is a really cool community. And that was another thing. Once I got to a real CrossFit gym, it, it wasn't only just, you know, the efficacy of the program. It was the community. Wow. I'm a college kid. I don't have any money and you're going to let me intern so I can keep working out here. That's so cool. And, uh, from there I would go home, uh, during breaks and summers and, and I would go to a CrossFit gym at home in my hometown. And that's where I really learned about, uh, the competition side of it. And I had missed the competition because, you know, I wasn't running in college. Uh, I wasn't good enough, uh, especially at a D1 school. And so I missed the competition side of it. So I decided, uh, I think I, I think I watched, uh, some other strong women in my gym, uh, getting ready to compete at the CrossFit games. And I was like, wow, I want to do this. And so talking about role models too, um, I saw like other strong women doing pull-ups and squatting a bunch of weight and deadlifting. And I thought, oh, wow, I could compete and I could get that like competitive edge out and I could be really strong and, and, and take care of myself. I was like, I really like this a lot. And so I think it was me just viewing some of the local competitors around and realizing that there was this like kind of underground uh community of people in the Northeast that were competing at CrossFit and uh, doing well. So, you know, I became friends with them. And then uh, the CrossFit Open came around in 2013. And so I competed, I believe, I think either it was came in 2012, I competed just for the heck of it, kind of. And then 2013, I competed and qualified for at the time regionals. Mm. And that was, um, that really sparked me to that next level of like, I love this and now I get to compete at it and I get that competitive drive, uh, and ignition to really go and see how far I can push myself. And that's where I really became, um, involved in the competition side because I had, you know, this incredible hole that I wanted to fill with competition, as well as these strong role models that were around and, and, and I got to train with them. And then also, um, you know, I was just doing something that had such a beautiful community to it. So I, I went to regionals in 2013. There were people like packed in the stands and it was cool. I'm like, we're, you guys know about CrossFit too? Like, this is cool. <laughs> I was, you know, I just like, didn't know. Um, and it was really, really special. And being out on the competition floor was so 
unique. And I never thought, you know, up to that point, I didn't think I was going to ever compete in something again. You know, I had done my high school sports. I had done my club sports. Wasn't really good enough um, for, for uh, college sports. So yeah, I just, I didn't think I was going to be able to fill that void. And so getting into it while I was in college gave me that purpose and gave me that drive um, to continue getting better. And that's at the point too, where I, I started to realize like, I was learning more about myself. I was figuring out who I was, you know, how did I deal with uh, putting the bar down when I knew I could do one more rep? How did I deal with um, when I was ahead of my competitor next to me? How did I pursue that? So it was a lot of like, gosh, so many different layers, but it was a lot of learning about myself and and feeling this competitive drive and this void that I had. Um, And that pursued my career into wanting to go to regionals next year, which I did. And then that made me want to go to the games, which eventually I did in 2018. Hmm. Now, uh, Matt Frazier is from the Boston area, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then what's the other, uh, that uh, Katrin, David's daughter, I know she's trained out there. Uh, I can't remember that really good coach's name. Uh, what, what, what CrossFit gym is that? Or who, who's that coach that I'm thinking of? Yeah, that's probably Ben Bergeon. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. They're out in that neck of the woods too. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So that was in 2015, I think. Uh, Matt Fraser, Fraser was on the scene. Uh, Katrin was training at the gym and, and I was too. And so it was a nice pass for cross. I mean, the community was so small then, but pass for cross, we were all just trying to you know, see our dreams come true, which was really uh, special and valuable. And uh, yeah, and I knew Katrin back then for sure. She was a hard worker and very fit, way fitter than me. But, you know, she's awesome in the sense that she's like, you want to do a workout today? And I'd be like, okay, great. Yeah. Like I'll chase you. <laughs> so you were actually at that gym with those guys then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was. And I was pursuing um, the CrossFit New England team at that point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, some people listening to this may not know much about CrossFit, but that's like, uh, you know, going to football camp with Tom Brady or something like that. I mean, that's, I mean, especially being introduced to CrossFit in that neck of the woods and being at that gym and around those coaches and those athletes like that's, those are some of the best CrossFit athletes uh, of all time. So that's, that's really cool. And I can see why, you would say, and that's why I kind of uh, put the question that way, like, how did you find CrossFit or did CrossFit find you? Because I feel like, you know, I've competed in bodybuilding and been weight training since I was in elementary school. And uh, the other podcast I have is all bodybuilding. Uh, and I've taught, I've done over 300 episodes of this other podcast called Behind the Muscle. And a lot of times the way that these bodybuilders uh, and, and, you know, athletes like yourself in, in CrossFit talk about, you know, bodybuilding or CrossFit or their passionate sport is in a, in a sense of like the sport found them, right? Cause you hear like all these professional, like football players or professional basketball players, like they grew up in, uh, unfortunate situations. And then, you know, I don't know, some way, somehow they got a basketball or they started playing football at three years old. And it's just like, the more I heard these stories, I'm like, I, it, it most of the time feels like the sport chooses the individual. So uh, I kind of see that with myself and I see that with you and so many other people I have conversations with. So that is so cool how you were introduced across it and then we're uh, in an environment uh, like that. Now, talk about uh, making it to the CrossFit game. So you, you were introduced to CrossFit in 2012. And then you made it to the games in 2018. Is that correct? Yes. So, yep. so a six year period. So going back to having to do the hard things, putting in the work, it's going to take time. Like, is that in that period, did you really kind of uh, learn that? Hey, like it's going to take time. This isn't going to happen overnight. Like walk us through that a little bit, Cassandra. I mean, yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly it. Right. I, that was my first, one of my first big lessons of this is going to take time and it's not linear. I'm not going to just continually get better and get to my dream. And I thought that was really, gosh, that was really impactful for me as someone in my twenties. Like I just, um, I just wasn't sure like what that was going to look like. And so I went to regionals. I uh, went to the cross of new England, 
area and trained like I could the best I could. And, you know, there were opportunities around to potentially go to the games and, and we missed it in 2015 as a team. And, you know, and then I tried to go back to individual a little bit and that didn't, that didn't work. Uh, and then I got injured uh, in 2016 and 2017. And so I had to take a year off. I think it was 2017. Uh, I had to take a year off. And so it was bumpy, you know, and then that part of me was like, oh man, it had been, you know, a couple of years since I had been competing, like maybe I'm not good enough. You know, maybe I can't do this. Um, and that's where you just, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, excuse me. I'm, I'm just, I have a tickle in my throat. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and, and so it was really impactful to learn that like failure is just like, it's part of the process, you know, it's like, and it makes the success that much more worth it. Um, but it, it is, it, it's the hard thing. It's getting up in the morning and it's continuing to do what you have to do in order to get to your goal. And there's time that happens. It's not a movie where it happens overnight or it happens within, you know, an hour and a half. Um, it takes years and it takes commitment and sacrifice and, and saying no to so many other things in order to continue to do it and question yourself along the way. Um, but it's the consistency. And that's what really got me to the CrossFit Games um, in 2018 with Reebok CrossFit One. Um, and yeah, there were, there was a lot of failing points up to that, up to that area. And I, I just kept pursuing it. And I just thought, you know, let's see if I can do this. Let's really push myself. Hmm. Yeah. So then, uh, touch on like when you actually were able to go to the CrossFit games as an athlete, like that, that was a breakthrough moment for you personally. But then, I mean, the pursuit of, you know, six years of making it, you made it like, what, what was that kind of like, uh, you know, in, in the moment when you qualified and knew you were going to the games? It was beautiful. Yeah, it was a dream. It was everything you think it is going to be. Um, I was so happy. I was, I couldn't believe we had made it. Uh, and at the same time as, as there was celebration, um, there was a lot of just like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next move I have to do? How do we not just go and compete, but how do we go and try to win the title? You know, how do we like try to do the best that we possibly can. Uh, so you just kind of get into this like mindset too of like, because you're just so used to the failures, the adversity, all of it. Uh, it was wonderful in that split moment to celebrate. And then it was back to what's the next thing we have to do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 